Hello and welcome back. It hasn't been hello, too hello. long since you saw us last, right? It's been two, what, two weeks? <laughs> two weeks. You guys have been okay without us, right? <laughs> uh, Lisa, Ian, and Andre were here and we're back. And we have a lot of stuff to talk to you about. We're just going to jump right in. Okay. So ready good? Yeah. Yes, I'm ready to talk about the bullshit. Okay, that's that sets the <laughs> tone right there. Um, <laughs> if you came here for a little ray of sunshine, uh, gonna be uh, it's not gonna be. I don't, you know, we don't like set things up to, to shit on them. I think that's lazy. However, there's a lot of yeah. stuff that goes on that I just go, okay, what the actual fucking shit? Like we have to talk about what's happening in our culture and our world, and I feel like this is one of those episodes. So buckle up. Uh, yeah. Oscar, let's get right into it. Oscar nominations came out, and again, I don't really pay attention too much to the Oscars. I was rooting for Rami Malek to get his Oscar. That's great. I know a lot of people thought, "What the fuck, Bohemian Rhapsody sucked." I hear you, understand it, and uh, and I get it. Um, and it kind of squeaked in and squeaked by. It made its billion dollars, just like Joker. But what I don't think I'm understanding this time around is why Joker's getting eleven nominations. I just need somebody to please explain to me why this movie got eleven nominations. Is there anybody in this room who can explain it to me? <laughs> I really fucking can't. <laughs> like, it should be it should be noted that we we all finally sat down to watch it. Joker. Yes. Because yes. Uh, I I mean I feel like we were all like after the Oscar nominations came out we were kind of like well we know we're gonna talk about the Oscars and we've always we've always kind of talked about this movie and how we've never really wanted to watch it in the first place. Um, but I, we, we all grinned and bear it and, um, yeah. And here we are. So when the, when the trailer came out, one of our podcasts, you know, uh, several months ago, I said, you know, I saw the trailer for Joker and I don't think this movie's for me and having watched it, this movie's not for me. So, but the question I have now that I've watched it is who is it for? Yes. <laughs> is it? An That's exactly. Yeah. Is it an incel anthem? Because Todd Phillips defends this film as saying that he's making a, a a film about how the system is broken. Really? Because there's literally no reason why Arthur does any of the things that he does. Let's start with the opening scene where a group of brown hooligans attacks your white protagonist and steals his sign. What? I'm sorry, what? If it was me or anybody, they take your sign, you're like, fuck it. Yeah. I wouldn't have even written it on the page. I wouldn't have directed it. And I sure as fuck in 2020 when this film was coming out had said, or 2019, that, hey, you know, here'd be a great idea. Here's this pasty white dude getting attacked by a bunch of brown dudes. Like, what are you trying to say, bitch? And again, it's a sign. And then he, dislo he dislocates his knee over losing the sign. And he loses a lot of weight, Joaquin does. And we're supposed to now equate this with, a, a, you know, awards nominations. Well, I think that's what it is. Like you have the one side who is that maybe it's that if you want to call them that incel portion of the the population who feels like they're being attacked because they're white and this and that. And then the other side who likes this are these artsy people. I guess you want to call them artsy. I don't know. Who think that this this is acting at what Joaquin is doing this exactly what you said. And I th there's a lot of people in the industry who will always reward that for some reason. I don't understand it. I don't. I, I don't wanna, think that's acting. I think that's craziness. I think. I think Joaquin Phoenix has is mentally ill. Honestly. 
you know. Because I've seen this performance again and again and again from Joaquin Phoenix. And again, this is the Andre had never didn't know of Joaquin Phoenix, right? He didn't know about no. him or of mm-hmm. him. So this is his first performance, and he's about to tell us what he thinks about the film. And I'm just going to say my stuff and get out of the way. But I've seen Joaquin do this again and again and again. He did this in The Master. A lot of people hated that film because it was hard to understand. Paul Thomas Anderson does what he wants. Uh, and so is Todd Phillips. I get it. But I watched The Master, and here's this guy who's also unhinged, who also does things. I never could figure out why that guy did what he did, but it was restrained by the direction of Paul Thomas Anderson and also countered by the performance of Philip uh, Seymour Hoffman, right, and Amy Adams. So in this, it's like you have no Philip Seymour Hoffman. You have a director who goes, yes, please, laugh the entire time uh we'll set up a bunch of scenes for you just to be Joaquin Phoenix in but there literally is no motivation for him to move scene to scene to scene and then we end with the million clown march that just doing shit for reasons I don't understand why we're doing any of this I don't understand why author does if you'd connected a few more dots I would understand the 11 Oscar nominations but then again I don't really look to the academy as tastemakers I don't look to them I mean I I've stopped giving a shit about these guys in the 90s and really award shows in general like I always go this is interesting I like to see what people are wearing it's really fun but ultimately it's just a big circle jerk in every single case right with most of the stuff that we all watch being ignored so I don't even get mad anymore I guess I'm just curious as to who this particular film this time was for yeah I wouldn't well that's what I wanted to address and I feel like Ian Ian brings up a good point about who this film really is for. Although I only half disagree only because I I don't feel like this film is for the incels either. It's the film is so irresponsibly devoid of any sort of message that it could literally be appropriated for any kind of movement. Mm. Problem is you're exactly right. Like when I finished the movie and I was, I watched it with Lindsay and Harley didn't want to watch it, but she came in after to get our thoughts. And I was like, what was the film about? What am I supposed to take away from this? Again, who is it made for? I don't think I don't think this film works for a number of reasons, but the number one of it being like it ultimately fails as a character study movie, which is exactly what Todd Phillips was trying to do. But for me, Arthur doesn't work as a character because the movie never spends time exploring what he wants or what his motivations are. And before anyone comes up and he's like, he's not supposed to make sense. He's crazy. He's the Joker. And I'm like, yeah, that argument doesn't fly with me because even if that is the case, there needs to be some sort of internal sense of logic that we, the audience, can follow. It's totally fine if he's like unpredictable and crazy to the other characters and he can maybe even surprise us at some points. But we need to be able to follow the character if you're going to make him the focal point of a character study film and if you wanted to write a character that is unpredictable and crazy and does things just because that's fine but maybe not make the film about him because you don't have much of a movie then i don't agree with the the statement that todd phillips wanted to make this movie about how the system is broken um mainly mainly because it pretends to be but it doesn't ever actually give deliver the the final blow it it depicts how people with mental illness deal with everyday life it depicts class disparity but it doesn't ultimately say anything about those things 
So it's like I instead of getting a, two or three really good messages, I get a lot of half-baked, badly written ideas and a pile of shit in my hands. Half-baked is a beautiful <laughs> word to use. And I was literally, you and I are becoming twins, literally about to say half-baked. And here it is. It's like here's an excuse to shittily make um, Taxi Driver and the King of Comedy – and I, I thought these thoughts before I even read anybody's shit about it. I immediately, because of those of us who are old enough who love those old edgy films, I haven't watched them in a while, but I, I doubt if the, even those stand up. I know you guys are out there probably freaking out, going, Taxi Driver's the greatest film ever made. Have you watched it? Have you watched it recently? Because when I say <laughs> these things and I go back and watch it, and I'm like, oh, shit. Oh, fuck. So... Maybe it holds up, maybe it doesn't. But here's the thing is that this film is so derivative. It's remaking other things and remaking them poorly. I mean, down to the fact that you had some mirroring shots of Heath Ledger's thing, the head out the window. There's a couple of times where I'm like, I'm just watching a reheated leftover version of a bunch of stuff that was the heyday of its time. And because maybe some of you Academy voters miss that shit so badly. Because again... This is not about people, although I have a friend of nearly 30 years who thought this film was amazing, and I'm shocked because I really respect my friend, and we agree on a lot of stuff, but on this one, that's a no for me, dog, because I'm going, this is just half-baked bullshit. I don't, I really honestly am starting to believe, and have, not even starting to believe, I believe this for a long time, that I feel like one King Phoenix needs help. I'm, and I'm not trying to be, be smug. I really feel like he needs help because of the way he acts in interviews sometimes. And now this is the how many performance I've seen of him. I don't consider weight loss an acting tool. I don't consider dislocating parts or knees or, or confounding your coworkers or deviling them at work uh, acting. Well, it's like the it's like I think yeah. it's a cry for help. It's almost, honestly, it's almost like um, you know the whole marathon marathon man story with Dustin Hoffman, right? And you Olivia know. going just fucking act, man. Because if you think about it, it's just not that guy on the screen. It's the whole everyone in that room who's working on this project. Yep. And if you're going to be so like that, I it's just I don't see how that can just just because doing everyone else's job around that it's like it's selfish it's self-centered it's just i don't know yeah and it just just seems to me like you're just full of yourself and to what result and again somebody somebody would go oh 11 oscar nominations if you believe that an oscar nomination or an oscar is literally the proof positive of the existence of your life then you need to re-examine your life even when my faves win oscars i'm like good for you that's commerce and street cred and that's something you can use monetarily to spin into it and again i'm not trying to pull any coin out of joaquin phoenix's pocket but what i'm saying is you're just rewarding some really shitty behavior because me as the audience member you've gone through all this stuff right and i'm not entertained i'm not i'm just concerned for you and and Mm -hmm. thank god it was only 122 minutes because if this had been in three hours i don't know i probably flipped a couple of tables but i was like it's almost going to be over now I got to watch it in the comfort of my home. I got to pause it so I could spin out of control for two minutes and then come back to it. But I remember looking at Ian going, what the actual fuck am I watching? I mean, it's like somebody just, Todd Phillips just loved these revenge movies of the 80s and wanted to recreate something and doesn't have the talent to do it. 
He just doesn't have the talent to do this. And didn't we collectively kind of punish Jared Leto for acting like a turd bucket on his Joker movie? Didn't he get yeah. called out for that and then shunned and then literally looks like being shut out from ever playing the Joker ever again, Birds of Prey? But we're rewarding this garbage. Well, how does Hollywood to be work? Fair, like, I mean, I want to know how it works. Can somebody explain it to me? Well, to be fair, Joaquin Phoenix wasn't like sending dead rats to his castmates. He was just That's being true. a jerk on set. Sure. So, and I mean, when you're a man and you do that, it's like, oh, it's the disturbed genius of it all. No, here's the here's the thing. Not only did I not know what this film was about, I also was like, why, why was this made? <laughs> like yeah what was no I'm what gonna... is its existence <laughs> right. what is its purpose for existing because by the time you get to the end of the film there's this really overdone cliche lazy twist about how it cuts to joker in arkham and you're meant to believe that oh maybe none of it actually happened maybe it was just the tale of a madman and it's really hilarious to me because the film exists to demystify the origins of the Joker. Sorry. And it ends the film by saying, well, maybe none of it really happened. So you're just giving me a worse version of what the Heath Ledger character was doing and giving different people different stories based on the situation. Right. And I'm just like, so why, if, if you're going to add this framing device to your narrative, then why not use it as a way to make the character more interesting? Like if this whole film really was just a story that Arthur made up, that story doesn't does nothing to inform us of Arthur's character or what he believes or things, so it's pointless. And it's there because Todd Phillips thought it was a clever twist, and it's and it's not. It's just not. I just want to make two more points, and then I want to move away from the garbage fire that I thought this movie was. Is that a comedy is really hard if you want to be a stand up comedian, boys and girls. It takes a long time, and you have to have some raw talent to begin with. You can't just walk up, and, and if you don't have raw talent, you have to work really, really hard at perfecting the game. A lot of people think it's easy. A lot of people think that anybody can do it. It's really, really tough, okay? So I resented the fact that stand-up comedy was treated like it was just some sort of, like, fuckery for this idiot to yeah. do. And if he was trying to, like, make something up in his head, he's a shitty writer. Yeah. Okay, Arthur, you got problems. You need to, I'm sorry that you had a shitty childhood. So did I, buddy. So did I. A lot of terrible shit happened to me. But it doesn't give you an excuse to just run amok in the streets and be this guy. You have to make sense of your life. Okay? Well, what's so, worse is that. And then the that... second thing, let me say my second thing and then I'll shut up. Yeah. Second thing is, please stop using all the brown people in the film to try to help you. And the, the poor actor who is the the. I don't know what short people don't call them short people don't call them dwarves. The Tyrion shaped actor who's in the, the you're using all of these people like it's 1991. Mm -hmm. I just went through this with my cousins on Friday. What fucking year are we living in where all the brown and black people in your film are there to serve you in some sort of fucking device? Every person was black and brown and two people from Atlanta were in this thing. To serve Arthur's twisted purpose. And I'm like, what are you trying to say, buddy? And I don't think that uh, Todd Phillips was even aware of it. I think he was completely uh, unaware of just how problematic his casting was. You know, yeah. it, maybe that was me. But I was just like, oh, fuck. 
the the brown lady, the black lady sitting here trying to help you. She's the court appointed psychiatrist. I don't even know why you're seeing her. How did we get here? Was this sort of some other infraction? I didn't understand any of the reason why I was in the room with her. And it's like, then at the end, he murders the either the another black lady who's trying to help him. It's like all of the people in this that are people of color were used in such a just, I thought, a tone-deaf way. And I'm like, and y'all yeah. can fuck off you think I'm some sort of social, social justice warrior. All I'm ever trying to say about this kind of stuff is we need to start responsibly telling these stories. And it's so obvious when it's told from a tone-deaf, mediocre white boy filter. And I'm going to stop now. Yeah, and I I almost took more offense at, well, I took equal offense at um how the film pretends to be some sort of commentary on how mentally ill people are treated. Yep. Um, I thought it was it was it was just it was lazy. Like <laughs> it was lazy. Like that line in Arthur's diary where he's written like the worst thing about having a mental illness is that people expect you to behave as if you don't. I mean, that's yeah, that's a that's a, a theme we can explore, sure. But the 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 it that's not what the film was exploring. The film was almost exploring like, you know, everyone has a degree of trauma that nobody else knows about and we should be considerate of that. That would have been if you didn't want to go the mentally ill route, you could have gone that way and made it a lot more interesting. But it's also weird when you reveal that your character is is ostracized from society because of this laughing tick that's caused not by like a chemical imbalance or like a like a inherited illness but a, a traumatic brain injury that was caused by his his mom's abusive boyfriend which was also painted as her fault right <laughs> so i'm just like what it then what are we what are we doing here what are, what are we saying? Nothing. I, it, it felt so <laughs> incredibly incoherent to me. And it reads as a film that had to like switch directors halfway, but that wasn't the case. So it's like even worse <laughs> when you think about it that way. Yeah. Like, I, yeah, I'm done talking about it. I'm just like, I watched it. I don't understand it. And yeah. Well, isn't most of the DC Universe movies like this? I mean, there really is no point to it. It's not like Marvel where well, you this, walk away. Well, this film isn't like, even hmm. in the DC universe. It no, doesn't have the DC, it. It doesn't have the DC logo. Here, here's also the, the, the cowardly bullshit about it is I want to make a superhero film, but I don't want to make a superhero film. I want to make an art house yep. superhero. Uh, I'm going to pick cherry pick this one guy out of the DC universe, and then I want to be a part of this camp that shits on superhero movies. Mm-hmm. i got to tell you, we sat down yesterday and watched Bumblebee, which is directed by... Um, I know his last name is Knight. Stephen Knight? Steve Travis. Knight? Travis Knight? It was produced by Michael Bay and, St- and Steven uh, Spielberg. And normally that combination these days <laughs> doesn't always, usually <laughs> makes my eye mess up. And I had more time, more, uh, more of a good time watching Haley Stanfeld and this, you know, CGI machine than I did watching The Joker. It's like, y'all got to stop shitting on superhero films and sci-fi films because they're a good time. Well, it's and then a lot of times, they, like that film had more to say about the human condition, yeah, than Joker, and it really wasn't even that deep of a script. It was a love letter to the '80s, but it's like there's just I can name 
I mean, we all could name like a handful or more of Marvel films that had a real message about good and bad and evil and inner struggle and self-sacrifice and who we are. And, you know, when Thanos comes along, there's a lot to be said about that. Black Panther, there's a lot to be said about that. And these guys come along and they're like, oh, yeah, it's a superhero film. Fuck you. I'm going to make this art house film and we're all going to jerk off over it. Yeah, fuck off. Seriously? Well, yeah, because they're Fuck they're off. more interested in in shooting Joaquin Phoenix dancing in a dingy bathroom, right? Than making a, a a fucking good movie. Oh, honestly, that scene that is in like every trailer where he's like dancing on the steps was not prepared for the music choice mm. that was in the film. I was I just started laughing. I'm just like, what am I watching? That was just something I stood out. No, I totally agree. I was already at a disadvantage because I didn't like Todd Phillips. I didn't like what he was saying about like everyone's too easily offended by comedy. And then he tries to like mouthpiece himself at the end of the film when everyone's like offended by Arthur's off color joke about a, a drunk driving incident. I'm just like, that's when Todd Phillips comes out of the screen and he's like, you get it? You get it now? Yeah, I, See, I usually, hated it. But here's usually the people who like to say that kind of bullshit are people who are not good at writing comedy. I mean, again, it's, yeah, normally, it takes a normally long time. Normally when I hear people... It takes time on the water. You have to have some raw talent for it. And I don't think Todd Phillips does. So I love when people like, yeah. they, they shit the bed and they, all of a sudden that's their excuse. It's like, no, buddy, you're just not good at this. I love the first Hangover movie. I thought it was great. I watched it drunk on a plane. It was perfect. I had a good time. I didn't really see the other two. I'm, I'm sure they were also magic. Uh, but I don't. I think that that's where his comedy progression stopped. And now you're mad at everybody else. And of course, he's just going to sit here and go, because he's got 11 nominations. And I'm sure that old Caved In needs help. Joaquin Phoenix is going to win the Academy Award. And, I, you know, good on you, buddy. It's not going to make me mad because I'm not going to watch the Academy Awards. I don't really care. I think a lot of us don't really care. I just, it's like, yeah. it's just out there. And I'm just like, I just, I'm really seriously trying to ask who is this for? Yeah. And I really don't still know who that's for. Yeah. Um, the other Oscar nominations were also just as baffling, but they always are to me. Um, I don't even understand why award shows kind of exist, like why top 10 list exists or top 20. It's kind of like people love to squeeze their world down and make it super small. <laughs> like they don't want to watch all of the films that came out. They don't want to experience. Yeah. They have to go, no, you have to love this film over the other film. So I don't understand the whole context of like, let's reward four things that happened out of the hundreds that were made this year with trophies and prestige. Um, and I'm, I love that. I think a lot of Generation Z and I know a lot of Generation Gen X just don't give a shit. Like I don't, I don't go, oh, I don't see those laurels on something and go, I've got to go rent it. I, I, in fact, yeah. a lot of times I go, oh shit, the Academy liked this. What was wrong with it? That's now become the new <laughs> thing for me. It's like, oh, they love this. It can shit. Maybe I'll watch that last. That's where I'm starting to, f- I've been feeling like this for years. I'm like, oh, so a bunch of blowhearted assholes like this. All right. It's because y'all sunk some money into it and it's political. Uh, I'll watch it later. So yeah, I don't even remember the Oscar nominations all of a sudden, but I feel like watching that list, I was just like, oh, it's just white people. Oh, okay. Well, I mean. Yeah. I- Go ahead, Ian. I just, you know, like I didn't see most. Of- we I- I've only seen a handful of them and most of the ones that I did see 
I'm just scrolling through the list of it. It was just like, I, un, it's just not memorable. It wasn't like previous years, or at least last year where I saw most of the stuff. But I think we made an effort to sit down you know. and watch a lot of them. But they're not going to reward the odd Tanyas of the world. They're going to reward Green Book. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, yeah. I watched Parasite. I love Korean film. I love this director. I'm not going to um, missay his name. <laughs> it's a really simple name, but I'm like, I feel like I'm going to say this name on a sound racist, so I'm not going to say his name. But I've been watching um, his work for a while and the lead actor's uh, work for a while, and I fucking loved it. I love what it had to say about, you know, the caste system could be applied to many countries, could be applied to America. I don't think it's that far off South Korea from the United States and where we are right now. So I really enjoyed it. And then I love that it just went out with a Korean um, ending. <laughs> it's just like Ian went to sleep. Um, I was exhausted. He was so tired from work. So it wasn't any kind of like um, any, Your shit any, sucked. any statement about the film at all. But it was like it yeah. went out with a bang and I was like, no, yeah. I I was enjoying it. The the uh, you know watching the the beginning part of it. I Loved just, the cast. Were, yeah, couldn't, couldn't it was take it. super fun. If you guys haven't seen Parasite, it's now out on streaming. I highly recommend it. It's really it's a good time. Um, will that one? I don't know if it's been nominated for best picture because I think it's foreign made. No, it's best picture. Oh, it's it's up yeah. for best picture, which mm-hmm. is interesting. Yeah, it probably won't win, but um. Mm-mm. Of all the ones out there that I guess are on the slate, I'm like, that would be funny if it did win and upset everybody. It was kind of like watching Fleabag win everything and watching all those people in the room just get really super pissed off. <laughs> so I'd like to see Parasite sweep it just to just to see the gifts of all the reactions. I mean, looking or at a the Once best Upon a Time in Hollywood sweep. Well, I mean, I think that would piss off. And I was, look, I know that Andre hasn't seen it, but Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and again, I have my problems with Mr. Tarantino. Yeah. Used to love him. Then I went, what the fuck? And this one kind of was like, wow. It, it almost mirrors, in a way, Parasite in, in some aspects. Some aspects. And then they both go out with the bang. So I have to say, I wouldn't hate that at all either because I, I think it was a beautifully done film. Once upon a time, and I'm not. And again, I'm not a huge fan of everything the man's done. I used to love. I've watched everything he's ever done, but you know, a lot of my old faves are falling into this problematic ditch all the time. Stephen King. Yeah. And so I'm like sitting here every day, going, "Fuck, god damn it!" You know, I've had to tick them off the list as time goes by, because people don't understand that you have to evolve as you get older. You can't just be old and have your eighty, your thoughts from the eighties that you formulated and live there. You have to update the operating system. So when I see Stephen King saying this tone-deaf shit on Twitter, when he first put it up, because I follow him, when he first put this tweet up, I was like, oh, shit. Is anybody going to call him and tell him? And then Twitter just caved in on him like they did with Bette Midler when she said some problematic fucking shit. And he just seems to have just not noticed that he's been called out by everybody around him, including Ava, Ava DuVernay. You yeah, want to read the tweet? Want, what was that I tweet want, that he said? Yeah, uh, he, he said, uh, as a writer, I am allowed to nominate in just three categories, best picture, best adapted screenplay, and best original screenplay. For me, the diversity issue, as it applies to individual actors and directors anyway, did not come up. 
That said, I would never consider diversity in matters of art only quality. It seems to me that to do otherwise would be wrong. And then he followed up these comments with a tweet that said, you can't win awards unless you're shut out of the game. And this, to me, is a very eloquent version of the argument that a lot of uh, people on Twitter are kind of being like, we shouldn't be basing the quality of a movie on race or gender of the directors or the actors. We should be basing it on quality. And these comments push the idea, I think, that diversity works in direct opposition against art and that it somehow diminishes that art. And the problem I have with that argument is that, so these nominations come out, only two of 20 actors were people of color that were nominated and there were no female directors nominated. Um, Parasite and Little Women remain the only movies to feature a diverse cast that featured non-white actors and women. Um, so these nominations come out and then this argument that we hear every year about the Oscars you know, it sh we shouldn't be worried about that, the the diversity issue. We should be raised, we should be focused on the quality of the film. And my problem with that is it implies that the only movies or directors or actors worthy of being nominated are predominantly white and male-driven films. Right. I mean, if you're the one setting the, uh, the game up, right, through the white yeah. filter, that's what you're going to choose. That's why you have tired and white stories every single year. <laughs> right. Yep. It's just moldy-ass <laughs> white stories. I mean, we, we, the they, longer... they're still making little women, y'all. They're still making little women. <laughs> Damn. It's 2020, bitch. We're still making little women. <laughs> well, right. the, the thing is, the longer this goes on and the longer the Academy does this, the more, like, there, the gap between disproportionate diversity and recognition of that diversity becomes more and more apparent. Like it becomes more and more, uh, more difficult to deny that there has to be some disproportionate correlation happening. And um, I was reading this article on the Atlantic written by Hannah Georgi. And she says, it's a commonly raised point that storytellers should be, should put the needs of the story first, but that often frames diversity as a chore or in clinical terms rather than considering its narrative possibilities through in an imaginative lens, which I think is a really interesting point to make because diversity is treated as, you know, like it, it again, it impedes the art that people are trying to make. And that, mm -hmm. I just don't think that's the case. Yeah. I always find this really funny, too. It's just like, okay. We watch a lot of stuff, Tom, and then I'll look at Ian and I'm like, oh, that's a diversity choice. They'll have, like, a main uh, white character doing white stuff, and then they'll just throw in Asian girl, black guy, um, this guy. They have no lines, but they're there in the room, bitch, so we can fulfill our requirement as though it's a chore. And, again, so says the white people in the room. And what's funny about Stephen King, this guy who's saying this, and everybody's coming to Uncle Stevie's, you know, defense because he's beloved Stephen King, and I and I see what you're doing there. At the same time, do you not have a critical thinking bone in your fucking body? I have loved this man since the very beginning, but it was during the before any of this bullshit happened. I was listening to the audio book of uh, the Institute, and there is a black girl in the cast of mostly white people. It's kind of how it works with King. And again, that, I'm not coming for him for that. But when he does write the black character in this particular case, and this is the first time I've noticed it like on this level, the way the actor is reading it and the way it is written on the page is so fucking, what the fuck? The little girl 
who's a little girl who's 11, speaks like this, y'all. This is how you talk, y'all. And I was like, what's happening? What the actual fuck is happening? She's speaking like a white guy who doesn't know how black people work or children work because all of the children in this story are so precocious. And yes, they have powers, but that doesn't mean they're all still. It's a whole, I could go on a whole thing about the Institute, but I'm like, and the dude, he has his kids making references. Their kids, I'm like, is this a period piece? Was this an eight from the 80s? All the kids are making references like they're 50-year-old men, and all their references are from the 80s. And I'm like, it's time to put Stephen King away and pack him in ice now. I think I'm done <laughs> reading any more Stephen King books because it looks like he stopped at a certain point in the sand, and that's where he lives. This guy's written some beautiful shit. Don't come for me. I get you. I loved it. I loved the stand. I loved all the things you love too. I love misery. But like, just admit that you understand white people better than you understand anybody else and just stay out of the conversation. Don't tweet. Just don't tweet. It's so easy wherever you're sitting in your sky yacht, Mr. King, just to stay out of the argument. Don't yeah. double down on it. It's like Bette Midler accusing black women you need, you need to get out in the streets and vote. Look, bitch, we done been voting. We voted last time. And the way that we voted, and you're not paying attention to the stats. And then no one, she just, she got to go off and just keep being Bette Midler. So I unfollowed her. I didn't cancel her. I just don't want to hear any other bullshit, dumb shit that she says. I don't think she mm -hmm. should be run out of town on a rail. But I just don't need, I don't, it's like with the Stephen King books. I'm done with that now. Okay, I guess I'm going to move over here. And be part of the other conversation that we're having, that the grown-ups are having about where we really are and what time it is. Because whomever's controlling the story controls history. And mm -hmm. I think that's why it's important on some level. I can say I ignore the Oscars all day long, but a lot of people pay attention to that. And if all we're doing is just doubling down on whiteness and dudes, I mean, you're going to talk about living in a bubble. That's the bubble you're going to live in. And I don't live in that bubble. Even if that bubble calls me out, even if I mean, even if my world that I've created calls me out, and I get called out all the time by my friends who are like, "What the fuck are you doing about blah blah blah?" And I sit there in that moment and I go, "Okay, fuck, I'm the problem. I just did the thing." My first instinct is to listen because this is an opportunity to grow. Here in all of this noise that I saw around any of this stuff with Stephen King, I, it's clear that he hasn't learned. He just keeps on tweeting. Mm -hmm. He's just sitting there like, everything is cool. It's not cool, sir. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. Because it looks like you didn't hear shit. You didn't hear nothing anybody was telling you. And I'm like, yeah. damn. damn. I think the fact of the matter is that I feel like there are really clear signs of major progress behind and in front of the camera, but the Academy actively and continually chooses to ignore that sure and and i was telling you like we were pre-gaming this podcast on friday but i was telling you like if i wanted to really put my tinfoil hat on on this i feel like this this decision to just completely whitewash your nominations is by design is to have people go on twitter and and shout about the oscars and because to them any press is good press sure if i really wanted to think about it that way i could definitely see a world where, where that's the reason i guess but then just, that gets I'm old just, though but i'm it's, so tired it's the same, yeah. yeah it's the same, my it's age. The same thing every i didn't even year. notice like, it anymore i'm just tired okay that's not a strategy that's just ignorant yeah it's lazy 
And I'm just tired of it. It's like, all I can just tell you guys is if you haven't seen us, see us. It's a really good movie. Uh, there's a lot of movies out there uh, that you guys could so go see. Uh, fuck whether it got a nominated for an Academy Award. Just go see them. There's a lot of really good films that were made uh, last year. There's a lot of films that are coming out this year. You should watch those. And uh, and again, I love movies that have predominantly and only white people in it. I'm not saying I'm, if, oh, there's too many white people in this movie. I'm not going to watch it. I watch a lot of shit. I watch a lot of shit. I'm even watching season two of you, your problematic fuckery that you guys are all thinking is amazing and you love Joe. I still watch it, and I watch it because I get to sit there and know what I'm talking about when I say it's bullshit. It's just bullshit. It's bullshit. So I watch a lot of whiteness. I watch a lot of maleness. Um, I follow a lot of that stuff and listen to a lot of that stuff and, and consume a lot of that stuff. also watch a sea of the other stuff too, and I can just tell you that the people who are doing the other stuff, it's just so much better. It's just so much better because it's reflecting the reality of the world. It's reflecting mm-hmm. um, the way the world actually is. So it's it's also doing a spin. And again, I'm not a huge fan of everything Ava DuVernay does. I could not get through A Wrinkle in Time. I forced myself through it, had to go back and finish it. I, I was not a fan. Um I think I would have had to have read the books to love it. I did not love it. I didn't did did not. And all the people I like showed up for it, but I did not care for it at all. So I don't automatically go. This black stuff should be amazing. This POC stuff should be amazing. There's a lot of stuff where I'm like, I don't get it. It sucked for me. So equal opportunity hater of stuff that I don't like. But I think it's subjective. <laughs> and here's the thing: I don't know why we have awards because it depends on who you are. Well, there's a whole bunch of like people in the Latino community and the Asian community who are going, we get crazy rich Asians in the farewell. That's it. We get no representation. And then when you all make stuff, then you want to pat yourself on the back. Like you wear your hand out patting yourself on the back for nominating Parasite in the farewell. When it could just be so much richer. So I don't live in that world. I moved out of that world a long time ago. And I live over in this world where I watch a lot of content a lot of good stuff and I end up having a really good time and I'm thoroughly entertained because I don't just limit myself to that one box and say these are the four films I want to watch first this year. Once I see your Oscar nomination, I'm like, ah, fuck, I'll be watching that last because you guys don't have any good taste. You don't have good taste. Yeah. You just don't. Either you're voting this way or you're letting your assistant vote this way. Or you're letting your your buddy drunk in a bar boat this way. I don't know who's got the Academy cards. But y'all been fucking it up for a long time. And you need to recognize. And then they always go, the Oscar, nomin- the Oscar uh, viewership is way down. Nobody gives a fuck. Because y'all are just nominating trash. Trash. The Joker is trash. They haven't let, they haven't let people enough... You know, diversity in the upper echelons. We're making decisions. Yep. We know this one very, very well. We're going to continue to get the same shit. Yeah. They just march off to the garbage factory every day. We've done this one before. Let's just print it. Okay. Um, Democratic debate. Speaking of white people, (laughs) (laughs) there are no uh, people of color running, I guess. Are 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 we counting Andrew Yang? He's running, but he didn't qualify for the debate. Yeah. Okay, so, but all the black folks left. Booker's out. Kamala's gone. 
I think the, there was a, another uh, dude, black guy, he dropped out earlier. So it's two billionaires and a bunch of millionaires and Pete Buttigieg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who's mad about it and trying Basically. to catch up by hanging out in wine caves. Okay. So <laughs> I was listening to Pod Save America, and, and this is one thing I've been ranting about for years and years and years, how you should never listen to polls because polls, did they call you was my question. Like people tell me poll numbers, and I'm like, I'm sorry, did they call you? And what they do with these yeah. polls, like Bernie's doing this and Elizabeth Warren's doing that and so-and-so's doing that, is they poll 700 people to 1,000 people. And that's who we're determining who's going to run, who's going to run against the orange menace. Do we not have a problem with that? Do we not have a problem with the fact that we should, like, again, with, like, the Oscars, we should ignore it. And we should also ignore polls when they're only asking a thousand people, not me or you, who's, who needs to be president, who needs to be in the running for it. And it matters in this case because these people literally are going to be running against this fool who's running us into the fucking ground. Like, we always, I rant and rave about the Electoral College, but can we not get pissed off, super pissed off about polls in general and go, y'all need to take a, we have the technology. We have fucking Twitter. Do we not, we have like, we are engineered to take a real nationwide poll. Are we relying on those numbers? No, we're not even trying to do that. No one's even... Because if I really wanted to know who would vote for whom right now, you could set up a national poll on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, Snapchat, Grinder. I thought people would be more honest. We already on know what that that snapshot is. It's called an election, and three million more people voted for Hillary. For Hillary, yeah. I mean, which I find this argument between you know Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders just to be the most idiotic bullshit ever. I just yeah. don't give a fuck. Anyway, so I'm just. I'm just sitting here at this point, as I usually do with the Democrats, going, they don't have one ball between them. That's the thing right there. And we're just going, this is our hope. Y'all going out to the Death Star, and you're sending in Jar Jar Binks. It's like we're this (laughs) far away from, you know, and I guess that's what primaries are for, and and, and, and we'll see once once that process goes through if if the Democrats can, you know, hold a... um, hold it together but it's just like holy shit there's just everyone's just everywhere so there's no consensus well the polls are the polls are funny to me because I, I was curious and i i looked up the the exit polls for the 2016 primary and i just looked at two of them and both of them conclusively projected bernie as the nominee right. so i'm like cool and it said that they asked like 2,000 people in that year about that and i'm still just like how many people are there in America? Anyway, it's kind of like when I see like statistics about like this. Per- there's this percentage of like bisexual people in America. I'm like, no one fucking asked me. Did y'all call my Who house? I? I'm home. Did y'all didn't call me. <laughs> I got my cell phone with me all the time. Y'all could have called me. I was. I'm here, bitch. <laughs> Nobody's ever asked me anything. Also, I'm just like. Also, just like <laughs> that's just. Anyway, um, but what I'm yeah, saying no. is, like, doesn't this like doesn't this like really concern everybody that this is, and like Pod Save America, these guys are like holding it down for the democracy, right? They're they're doing everything they can, and I'm like, y'all don't even have any issue with a straight face by saying that 700 people have Bernie in the lead at this point. Bernie is not in the lead of anything. Elizabeth, yeah. we don't know who the fuck is in the lead yet because this is what people do. 
they they if they are if they are allowed to get to the polls because the poll they can find where the polling place is one two they're allowed to vote when they get there because they you know they're the wrong color they're not a felon all the things you know they haven't gerrymandered the shit out of your like district you get there to vote and I think a lot of people do this they're tired they're hungry they're gassy they're annoyed. They're just, they just want to get in and get out. They just, you know, just them showing up is a miracle. And then I think they decide in that moment, how the fuck can you poll that? Well, it's, you know, it's weird. It's like they, they're, they're using polls as, as it's, as if it's the, you know, it's a fact. And it's like, I think people are just, they're just falling in line. When you're making the point where this is, this is so, it's not a representation. And if I poll you on a Tuesday on this day, it's like we should just it doesn't stop determine doing this. Of your, it's, we should stop doing polls we is what I'm stop, saying. Stop pushing this because I know I know a lot of because I watch MSNBC and I know they're just pushing Biden. And it, it'll probably be Biden because it's just everyone's so disjointed. But it's like, stop pushing this. I don't even know who I'm going to vote. No, for I yet. don't either. You know, and, and I've watched all the debates, and I'm like, all these guys are fucking friends, morons. Then I have my friends, like, they just announced, like, the 30 people who were running for the Democrats. Then I had friends who just doubled down on one candidate and just banged the gong for them. And I'm like, why don't you, like, be a grown-up and just wait who emerges as the person with the best ideas? This is what I'm listening for. Is it Klobuchar? Is it Warren? And if it, fuck electability. You're not a marketing expert, you know, just... Who do you yeah. think, and then go in that direction with who who's qualified for the fucking job? But everybody's like, I see people getting into these nasty Twitter fights over their candidate, and I'm like, why are you wasting this energy? This person's if they stick it out, if they last to the bitter end, and it, the race is long. We still people like we still have months to go in 2020. Yeah. Do you know the thing is like being in California in in Los Angeles. Um you know, I don't I all exposure I get to any of these candidates is what I see on television and it's always the same line. Right. It's always the same thing. Yeah. So I guess, you know, when they're going down and talking to the people, they're having, you know, real discussions and you get to know who they are, but you know, the most of us don't get to see this. So stop pushing the polls and stop saying who's leading. I have to say I'm going to agree with Vladimir Putin on one thing. I know. Hold on to your wig. Uh, he said something that's very true. And, and knowing, uh, you know, Vladimir, he, he stole this from someone else. A bitch steals everything. But he said, um, what you say on the campaign trail is very rarely what you do when you're in office. Right? So even if I'm listening to what somebody says, I look, what are you going to do when you get into office? And you kind of almost have to have some sort of like mind meld to know what someone's going to do. Because if that person's new, like a Buttigieg, and they get in there and they hold the office, the first thing they do is they bring you into a secret room. This is what I imagine happens when you become president. And then you, you drink the, the blood from the skull and you put the ring on and then you promise <laughs> to yeah. do Skeletor's business. And you find out that all that shit that you told the people to get into the secret room, you're not going to be able to do any of that. Yeah. None of that. Ever. Because you have to pay all of these things off and then there's pressure if you've just spent any time i lived in dc for several years and you can feel the pressure you can feel it it has its own atmosphere it's like it's like hollywood once you get into hollywood and you're gonna do this and you're gonna do that and you get there and then they come in and they go 
drink from the skull, put the ring on, and this is what you're going to do, <laughs> right? And this is what happens there. It's like, so you can sit here and say you're going to do all this fucking shit, and I always go, what are you going to be allowed to do? Because we see mm-hmm. the fuckery that's going on with trying to impeach the president. Oh, he's already impeached, but removing him from office seems to be like that's not going to happen. Even though Lev Parnas is sitting down with Rachel Maddow, spilling his guts. He literally dropped his drawers and just went, oh, God, yeah. I'm so afraid of if William that stuff Barr. that's true. Well, if we don't true. know. We don't know. But you're already like you're already following in the propaganda. Everybody's saying, well, maybe he's wrong. I think that no, dude literally— No, I'm keeping an open mind. Right. But I'm pretty but sure that he's telling the truth. I think Lev Parnas said what he meant when he said, I'm more afraid of William Barr than I am of anybody else, yeah. so I'm going to spill the tea. Girl, do you have enough cups for the tea I'm fitness bill? <laughs> and she said, yes, of course I do. I'm Rachel Maddow. I own a tea factory, and I have all the cups. So spill it, bitch. So, but even with him sitting here, we're smoking a smoking cannon at this point. He has several smoking cannons. Fuck smoking gun. Will they take this guy down? So we have to look at our look at what's coming and going. Are we just? How do we even remotely prepare for this? Living in this world with this shit going on. Yeah, I kind of want to. I kind of want to touch on like what you were saying about how like people are like hardcore like banging the gong for one candidate because in one way i i kind of understand it because i mean this election really is gonna be like the battle for the life of this country yes uh because we just can't fucking do four more years of trump even though it's it's as it's a possibility and a lot of people are, are not ready to accept that um in some ways, I do understand the fervor and the the dedication that people have to one candidate and it's not I think people are attracted to the Bernie or to Warren or to Kamala or whoever because of what they've already done, not necessarily what they're promising to do, Um, especially Bernie and Warren. And again, Joe Biden, like he is the VP. He's he that's like one of the main driving reasons is that he worked for the Obama administration and he did all of these things and he has the experience. And it's I think it's more about what they've done versus what they're going to do, because you're exactly right. Like we always get these campaign promises and they rarely ever happen anyway. Um, What I don't understand is how that gets to a fever pitch of just like infighting amongst everyone in the party. Right. Because like, look. If I if I was going to pick one person, I'm going to pick Warren. It's just my pick. I'm not. It's nothing against Bernie. I don't like Joe Biden. Uh, I don't like Buttigieg. <laughs> well, maybe so. Maybe it is about other people. But I that's just the candidate that I think is going to do the best job. But me saying that I'm supporting Warren is not an indictment of Bernie, and it's not me saying that I'm going to shit on Bernie no matter what because I think he's also a good candidate. And you can have it both ways. <laughs> like so, this. And this is exactly what happened in 2016 when there were there were ploys and and coups to pit Bernie and Hillary against each other, and then look what happened. Yeah. And I also want to touch on this state this story that that broke this week before the debate uh, about this conversation between Warren and Bernie about how Warren claims that Bernie told her that he doesn't think a woman could could be precedent and the thing about this is i think that they think they're both right i think they're they're both legitimately convinced that what they're saying is true i just think there was some sort of miscommunication bernie said something warren took it to mean that he doesn't think a woman can win and honestly a woman can because you know hillary won by three million votes and yet here we are 
Um, so there, there's all of that going on, which doesn't help the the butting of heads between the Bernie and the Warren camps. And I think I think we just got to be a little more cautious. It also doesn't help that for some reason this election we've really celebritized the shit out of all of these candidates. I legitimately think people are now seeing Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren as like actual celebrities. I'm like these are political candidates that we are voting into office to change the country. But that happens. They don't every have any year, movies though. coming out. That, that <laughs> like, happens every season, though. I mean, not every every presidential election, I see this all the time. Like they did this with uh, John McCain. They did this with uh, oh, what was old dumbass girl's name? Uh, Palin, you know. And they did it with uh, they did it with Barack Obama. Like he came out and he was like the new hot starlet kind of thing. So they always oh, sure, do yeah. that. I don't feel like. And again, the presidency has always been a popularity contest. You know, George Washington, not exactly a dude that you needed to be president, but he was a popular general of his time. So, you know, it's always been a popularity contest. It's just we're seeing that we have to take the presidency way more seriously than we ever have before because I don't think anybody knew that the president could get on Twitter or one phone call and start wars. Who knew that he could like have people assassinated just for shits and grins with only a handful mm-hmm. of people going, okay. You know, like we didn't know that because we didn't have a guy coming in to just kick the tires on every single aspect of this presidency. Well, it's, it, you know, it, the, the, it's the, it's a face of a movement and the current movement that's, that's involved, that's in control right now is hollowing out every single institution yep. and it's making it possible yeah. for shit like this to happen. Right. Making it possible for this dumb motherfucker to call up someone else and and you know hold over you know a uh, uh, aid mm-hmm. as what we're looking at now. I mean no one's going to hold him to check because he's full of he's surrounded by sycophants and um you know just stupid people. I just didn't know that it could go this way. Yeah. You know, I didn't know that you could just be as bad as you want to be and be like the thug that you want to be. I thought it was more subtle than this, and I thought you had to ask at least 15 other Voldemorts how Voldemort you could be. I didn't realize you could just be thugging. You could just be criming on it's the like, toilet. I didn't like, know yeah, that you could just be sitting there going, fuck the Kurds when you're on the shitter at like 6 a.m., yeah. and they're like, okay, you know, I didn't yeah. know that could happen. It hasn't, I guess, you know, in our lifetime, I mean, we haven't seen someone behave that way so you know brashly we probably have they just you know it was just slicked over yeah you know i mean like you know clinton did that just clinton <laughs> reagan when you think about it yeah. w bush yeah. i think they all did it they just did it in a more subtle way maybe they made yeah. it look like you know they had to ask five people maybe they just had to ask yeah. ed they were, you know, they they still had that veneer of, you know, statesmanship. Yeah. Now it's just, you know, it's it's your fucking muckraking, you know, Hollywood, you know, sleaze fest. And I and I agree with Andre. It's it's a it's a little bit more like it's probably always been true because I've noticed it to be true, but I think it's a little bit more celebritizing than I've I've noticed it to be. Maybe it is ratcheted up a little bit more. It's like, and also I think people who who have no business being in politics are, are are finding ways to win elections. Well, of course. I mean, because you know? they're going, look at this more guy. More and more. Like, yeah, they're like, oh, this guy can do it. Uh, we can all do it. Like those that idiot from uh, Florida, that that congressperson. Yeah. And all these other people who are, they have no business. Here's no the business upside. Here's the upside, though. Decisions. We'll leave this on a positive note, is that you can be president, whomever you are. Yeah. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Let's just, you know. <laughs> Just run for president. And what I'm going to encourage people to do is run for 
Republican president. Be a Republican who runs for president and really fuck it up. Like, fuck it up. <laughs> like, not in the Trump way. I'm talking about, like, just get in and then like, just fuck it up from that side. That would be awesome. That'd be yeah. great. And if you had good things to say, we'd be there right behind you. You got to get rid of all the boomers and the um, the born agains first. Yeah, born agains and boomers got to go. Just, it would go. just Even if the country go. kind of like went to hell in a handbasket, just in a big, huge revolutionary transition, I think we'd survive it. Or have your fucking rapture already and leave the rest of the world for us. Ooh, I really wish that rapture <laughs> would happen. You know, that I'd be down with that too. I'm like, every time they set a date for the rapture, I'm like, oh God, yes, yes, please let it be true. <laughs> please let it be true. I'll be fine. Y'all know I'm going to hell anyway, but like, I mean, it'll be like a thousand years. Do I get to be immortal and live those thousand years? Yeah, then I'm. I'll yeah. just, you know, I'll just check out the day before the thousand years are done. Yeah. Just be like, I'm still boom, going to hell like I'm a out. fire. Yeah. But, you know, I think it'd be worth it. Um, <laughs> recommendations list. We got some good ones. I'm not going to go into it too much, um, but we saw the Messiah, Andre and I. You peaced out at some I point. I fell asleep. Uh, Ian has been working a lot. I have to say, we were talking about seeing the sign that, that I've seen it. It's kind of, I, I have to say, it's worth checking out on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And so exactly what I think would happen if Jesus came back. This is mild spoilers for Messiah. Um, I was like going, okay, what is this going to do? I was trying to figure out what angle it had. Um, and then... They go to D.C. and dude walks on water in front of the National Mall. And I'm like, okay, what's happening? <laughs> I'm like, and then he actually sets it up before he does it. He goes, some of you going to see this as this. And some of you going to see it as that. And then the bro walked on the water. And then you're thinking, okay, that's done. Guy walks on the water. Then you're immediately going to be like, oh, well, that's proof. But see, this is now. So you got um, the incredible Randy talking about how this has been done before and they put up all these videos mm-hmm. of all these gurus who have done it before so it gets debunked. So the the premise of the series is always operating under this he's not real. And or is he? Or is he? Is yeah. he? And then we get that <laughs> final scene where he's on the helicopter with the Israeli guy. They're taking him back to Israel to face like his charges and the Israeli guy confesses the most horrible thing he's ever done, which is killed this 15-year-old. And he says, the last thing you're going to think about before you die, because, you know, Jesus is sitting across from him on the private plane. The plane goes down, and um, Malik, the little kid, I guess they're somewhere in Pakistan. I don't know where they crash, but the little kid comes running up, and he goes, dude, you and your bro were dead, and that dude raised you from the dead, yo. <laughs> so he raises these two guys from the dead, and then series end i mean the season end and i'm like "Mm, so i guess he was jesus he really was i really like yeah i really like the the concept of this because it was it's almost eerily true to exactly how it would go down yeah if this happened in real life you know that would be resting that fool like all the time (laughs) okay so it's yeah (laughs) it's not about it's not about the second coming it's about the first initial coming yeah, I mean, if, it doesn't get into the rapture or any of that kind of he, stuff. As no. if Jesus came in this modern world. Right, and he doesn't seem to be uh, too happy about it. I feel like Jesus seems like he's been sent to the earth, and he's telling everybody the truth, 
And then he's just kind of like, oh, fuck. Like half the time, I think he's just like, he's trying to be Zen with it because he is the son of God. And, and in a sense, he is God. And he's sitting there kind of chilling. But at one point when they're in D.C. and he looks out the window and some woman is, somebody's talking to him about like what's going to happen next. And he goes, yeah, God wants the storm. He wants the flood. Basically, like he wants this to all go sideways. I thought that that's that what they that's what they were saying. Like this is the second coming. Oh yeah, I thought oh, that's what the they were saying. Yeah, I mean, I aren't there versions of the second coming where Jesus comes and then the rapture happens, like no, as a warning? I thought he's supposed to like his second coming is is like the rapture. I don't know. I don't know. I haven't read it in a minute. Yeah, it's been a while. But the whole, the whole we're not, time, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're not, not, actually we're not about really sure about the series of events that's supposed to go down. We were asking for the rapture. Maybe we should all read up on it and see what, like, what we're supposed gotta, to do. We've got to read up on our peyote and you know, like, um, LSD. Absolutely, because you know you but and But I'm I, sure one of the characters says that this is the second coming. Right. That's oh. where so I'm I feel like that's that problem, what we're so. in. It kind of has that feeling about it as it grows, because you have the tornadoes and you have the things happening and all the shit that's going down. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and it kind of like everybody gets in trouble. Like, the Arabs get in trouble, the Christians get in trouble, like, everybody's kind of fucking it up, like, not getting, like, this guy's telling the truth, and then you have the doubters, and then you have, like, the NSA's going after him, and the CIA's going after him, like, whatever Israelis, you know, in our government. So, and and the dude keeps showing up in places, and they they can explain away his movements, but then in that one last scene that we're left with, Homeboy does bring these dudes back from the dead. Like, it's a plane crash, yo. Like, you don't just get the wind knocked out of you in a plane crash. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, and this little kid who's a problem at school rolls up, and he's the eyewitness, and he's like, yo! Um, and Jesus says, it's the last thing you're going to think about before you die. So the dude dies. So is there going to be a season two of Messiah? Was she telling me, like, you hope there isn't a season two? I think it would be nice to be sort of like left open-ended, but then Andre had an idea like season two is just like, you know, it's just a massive kind of like, he's just going to be, you know, what do you call it? Spiting people. Is he smoting He's smoting. He's smiting people. Is he going to smite people? He's just going to just go on a smite fest. Just a smite fest across the board. It's a smiterama. I think a a smiterama would be really fun in season two. But then I checked out the the creator and he was saying that... um, that he didn't wasn't coming from any one place. He doesn't have a position. He just wants you to kind of mm-hmm. make up your own mind about what you think is happening and have your own interpretation of it. And I really liked that. I think that's yeah. what made me like the series even more. Yeah, uh, is that yeah. he's like leaving it up to you. So I really enjoyed that um, kind of take on it. Did yeah, let, and yeah. I think the show even targets our cynicism it as does. an audience. It does because like while yeah. we're watching it, the show is setting it up. For the reveal at the end that I was see when I was watching this, I was convinced that the last episode was going to be like just like a murder mystery reveal. And it's going to break down how he did every single thing and like how he's not the real deal. And then when that doesn't happen and the show's like, maybe you shouldn't be so cynical or maybe you shouldn't, you know, it was a nice subversion of expectation. Now you're just kind of left wondering, well, how like, well, maybe this is real. Like, and even like the last episode was like. It, it was leading towards a message of this is what happens when you put your faith into a con artist. And then it was because it, it was leading up to all that stuff. He left the, the church, the mega church thing. And then that ending happens. And you're just like, oh, 
like maybe it, it was real. So I don't know. I I just really like how the show managed to engage me and really think about it in those terms. I think specifically there's a couple of scenes that stand out to me, but the one that I really enjoyed was um how the religious dude, the dude from Texas who had his church, the whole town blown away and his church is still standing, how mm. he's like when Jesus gets in the car and leaves with the Israelis on his big night at the mega church, you know, where Jesus is supposed to come out and like do his debut, his ta-da. And Jesus, you know, he gets, they get him a whole new outfit and they get him some shoes and shit and they get him all like, they give him a makeover. And like he's supposed to go out there and do his thing. And before the show even happens, he, he, he gets in the car with the Israelis and goes, he hands himself over to them and he leaves behind his outfit, you know? And the Texas preacher is like, but you're my boy though, but you're my boy, but you left me. And Jesus is like, you don't own God, bitch. You don't make that money on your own. (laughs) You don't be telling God what to do. But it was more about like his journey. He's like, do you not see yourself? Do you not see what you're doing? Do you not, Look at your work. You were you were the last man standing in your faith, but then you were fit to burn the church down, and now here you are. And it's like, I love how messy it is. I love how it's completely messy that all the faithful mm-hmm. are the ones having the biggest problem with this dude. And all yeah. the cynics are kind of having like their their moment of like, oh shit, maybe this dude is real. Uh hats off to Medi Debbie who plays Almasi, or Jesus, if you will, or Jesus, or whomever you want to call this dude. Um, I think Medi has done an amazing job with him. And I don't, like, again, I was going to go back to the Joker thing. I completely have no problem with someone being method. Um, it just depends on how far you want to take it. Um, and I agree with kind of what Medi did here was he had to be kind of tofu to these other actors. He had to, and not my words, not his where he's like, I had to be silent with them. They're doing a lot of reacting to what this guy stands for. So there's not a mm-hmm. whole lot of lines written for Medi's character, for the Masi. So he he's quiet most of the time. So he said he separated himself from the cast and and really was tried to be calm and be be quiet and just sort of stay as this character for for the for the pre production and then into the shooting. So it was a year of this, and he said mm. he felt very isolated from people but he also very felt very anchored and calm and i think he's what's really mesmerizing about the series is if you don't have the right jesus don't even show up and do this right yeah and i love and he didn't dislocate a knee or anything or scream at anybody but uh, or laugh for the 10 episodes but so he he really was quiet and in his space and i appreciated that about the performance so if you haven't seen messiah um well, I guess I've kind of spoiled it for you. But it doesn't even matter what we told you. Like, you should go and take your own message from it. Like, is he is he real or is he not real? And what do you think of these performances? I thought everybody was great. Michelle Monaghan's great in this. John Ortiz, who plays um, the Texas preacher. Um, Tomer Sisley plays Avram Dahan. He's the guy from Israel. And then, of course, the rest of the characters are are awesome. But um, but you have to you have to check it out. Other recommendations, guys. You had a cool recommendation. Yeah, so I sort of stumbled upon this YouTube channel um, called Jubilee, and um, it was this video about, you know, the title was Do All Fat People Think the Same? Or, not sorry, it was Do All Body Positive People Think the Same or something, something along those lines. And the video had 
um, you know, they had gotten this, you know, sort of cast of of people who were who were overweight or fat or whatever you want to call it, and then they would give them prompted statements like, um, like, "Are you proud of your body?" Blah 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 blah, and then they would stand in the middle of the room, and if they go left, they would disagree strongly disagree or they would go right strongly agree or agree and it was really interesting to see how um similar people in a similar situation could have different views on that specific subject and i think it was really eye-opening because it's it's a healthy discourse to watch which is in short supply these days right um and it never and i've watched a bunch of these videos they they have it for do all gay men think the same do all muslims think the same do all hiv people uh positive people think the same and it's really interesting to hear these stories of of the same circumstances but different experiences with that circumstance I really and like it. it never it never really ever gets hostile it's always you know they always you know shake hands at the end of it like no one's going home angry and I was like, well, what else does this channel do? They have a, a series called uh, Middle Ground, where it's sort of the same situation, except they bring in people that represent two different sides of, of an argument. So you can say like pro-choice or pro-life people. They bring them to this warehouse studio. They, you know, give them prompted statements. And they, if they agree with that statement, they come to the middle of the room. If they don't agree, they stay and then come after that initial uh, discussion. And again, it's a really healthy way to understand how the other side feels and how the other side thinks. Like I tend to stay away from the more sensitive ones. Like I didn't really want to watch. There's one on like, do like Trump supporters versus immigrants. I didn't necessarily want to watch it, but I'm sure even that has some level of healthy discourse, but I really want to plug it. Cause I think it's really important in what this channel is doing and just really interesting and unique. And it's definitely worth the watch. They cover all kinds of topics. Um, and I've just barely scratched the surface because they've been doing this for a couple of years. So The yeah. company is called Jubilee. It's J-U-B-I-L-E-E. And it's on YouTube. And um, they have several topics, as Andre's talking about. Do all dropouts think the same? Um, do all veterans think the same? Flat earthers versus scientists. And the one that you're talking about is do all plus size people think the same? And I watched yes. it and I have to say, um, I loved it. I loved that in the 11 minutes and 11 seconds that it's that I spent with it, that it was it really got me thinking about myself as a fat person and 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 everybody had a chance to talk. It wasn't screaming. It wasn't like some sort of like the view craziness. It was people actually having a, a conversation amongst themselves, and they would step. They have them in a big warehouse room, um, asking them questions, and they step to a line to say if they agreed, somewhat agreed, disagreed, you know, whatever. And then they would sit and they would explain why they walked to that particular line to ask that question. So, mm -hmm. I quite liked it. Thanks for the recommendation, friend. Yeah. Speaking of that kind of thing, we were watching The Circle. It's this wildly popular reality show that's on Netflix right now. The whole season is out. Um, I think it's something that everyone should see. Um, they have all these people who come to this one apartment building in the south of England. Um, is it in the south? I don't know. It's somewhere in the UK. 
And they have all of these Americans because they do a, a Brazilian version, a French version, and an Italian version of the show as well. But this this version is for the American audience on Netflix. And it's all of these people who come in and they live in their own apartments and they're sequestered in these apartments and they get to know each other um, online. So they have these TVs in every room of their little apartments and they get to vote up people to make them influencers. The top two are influencers and they vote out the most popular people um, every week or every two days. I don't know what the cycle is. And the interesting thing is, is that, that some of these people are actually catfishes. So some of them are too good to be true. Some of them, and then, then the wild card is some of them literally are those people. Like one guy was a pro basketball player who's stunningly beautiful, who's done all the things that he says. One girl's actually a model, Instagram influencer, and she's on there. And those two people went like almost sooner rather than later. Not to spoil it for you, but I kind of did. But it's interesting what how the series ends. I think we had a problem with the format at the end because they were introducing new people at the end. I feel like we talked about this last time. Uh, did we talk about the circle last episode? I don't know if we did. We've, we've like talked we did. about it a lot between us. Yeah, we have. So I would just feel like there's there's uh, some issues with it. But my biggest problem, I think, is with Sean, who came in toward the end after we'd spent time with our core group of people, which I thought we were just going to leave it there. But we bring in Sean. And Sean's job, her day job, is influencing, uh, being an influencing uh, influencer for the body pos uh, positive movement. So it's Instagram. It's her social media stance on and then I'm like, this is going to be cool. A, a girl, a big girl, a fat girl like us is going to be on this show and be herself and see how people respond to her. Well, if she had been, she had, didn't have a chance to watch the first part, but these are core five. They're the most open-minded people on the planet. They have been nothing but accepting this entire time. And when Sean comes on, her initial decision is to then be in the circle as someone who's not herself, who's this, yeah. Ha beautiful woman, tiny, like b she's beautiful herself, Sean is, but like a skinny person who's been airbrushed to shit and back. And that's who she plays as. And I was instantly put off by Sean. I was like, I'm sorry, what are you doing? Like you literally just got through saying your whole, your whole job is about the body positive movement and then you're doing it, playing it this way. She eventually does come clean but I think the damage is already done, and me and Shabam were on the same place. And everyone, everyone who was the cat, a catfish, has some variation of that. Yeah. Sort of, um, you know, I want to see what it's like if I just portray myself as it. And you know, and, and like, every well, one of their messages, by the way, put me off. Yeah. Like I'm just like I'm trying to teach people. I'm like, no, at the at the core yeah. of all of these catfish stories are, you need to get in line with yourself and be who you who you are, no matter what. And the people people will accept you, and if they don't, fuck off, bitch. If you don't like me, you ain't for me. I ain't for you. Yeah. So I yeah. think that's what I was gonna say because I hadn't watched the circle, and I I don't necessarily know how it plays out. But when you told me this, I was thinking, well, is she doing this? Is she masquerade? I don't want to say masquerading, but like, is she, if she's catfishing as a skinny person, is her point? to then reveal herself and point out how people treat skinny people different than fat people? Well, I think that she was, I think it was, if this was 1996, that might have worked out. But I don't think she initially went in 
to say, no, I'm going, I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to re- uh, reveal and no. say th- there was none of it wasn't I think thought through that way. She was exposed okay. to the fact that Chris and Shabam and Sammy and Joey were just being their authentic selves because those people weren't being catfishes. Yeah. She was. She felt that in her spirit, right? She was like, oh, I, I can't be doing that shit with these people because... And as soon as she revealed herself to a core group of people, you know, privately in a private chat, they were all like, oh, no, we love you. You're fine. It's cool. Yeah. Nobody, nobody has a problem. And that, that core, that core five that went to the end, Yeah. I mean, it was like, I felt this sort of attachment to every single one of them. Except Rebe- Rebecca. Which one? Who's her? Oh yeah, she was catfish. <laughs> Except for Rebecca, um, but that, you know, that's just part of that's just part of the story. But it's like it's like you know, Amazing Race and the other ones where you you really feel for these people because they are you know you're seeing them in in this sort of little heightened microcosm of. I think a lot of us were sitting here with Jillian Michaels, who was fat shaming Lizzo and going, "Sit the fuck down, you old tired bitch. Do you know Lizzo's health stats? Do you know her blood pressure?" Do you know her cholesterol level? Also, could your old wrinkly ass get up on stage can for three that, hours and do what yeah. she does? Go can go on tour. Can you also do can that? you exactly. do ballet and play the flute yeah. and all that shit, bitch? Until you can do that, then just sit down and shut up. And I feel like if you are body positive movement girl and you come on the circle in 2020, mayhaps you come correct and don't just come in here and try to start some foolishness because you're speaking to the wrong group of people. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And if someone is going to judge you, then you can call them out. We didn't even get a chance to see it play out where, say, it might have been Sean versus the dude who brought his mother. Because I feel like he might have had some type of feeling about somebody being heavy on the show. Then you would have had a teachable moment. But this was a ham-fisted way of, like, unmaking your point. Yeah. The, I mean, the gameplay and the, the, the way it was laid out, I think – is inherently flawed. There's something wrong with it. Yeah. Um, but the concept, I thought, was I liked the really, concept a lot. Really interesting. I really think you should watch it, Andre. It's really fun. You should. I think you would have a lot to say. And the thing is, is it's, you know, it's very, it's generational. So it's like, it's very modern and just the, you know, because a lot of people are like, oh, I don't, you know, I'm from a generation where it's like, you know, you can't really understand what someone's saying through text. And, People will misinterpret things. They get that. They understand it. So they craft their words in a way. I think they're very aware. I don't know how though. to operate. I feel like on we're in level. a world where I can tell somebody's age if they like are they're weird in text. Yeah, I'm just saying like, like these people, the, these these contestants yeah. are very much this in show would tune be, with think, technology. I think it would be so much more interesting if they had a season where it was just a mixed group of like boomer Gen X. Yeah. Gen Z, that would be interesting. If you had, if you had a, even if you had like groups, like you know, different pools, and then you whittle it down, you're not adding more people. You're whittling that, like what Survivor does. What I mean, yeah. you whittle it because when you start adding new people in, it fucks with the flow because yeah. you're going to a, a point, a, a, a contest, a, a, a winner, and it doesn't, it, you know. I think also doesn't what work. what kind of also throws a wrench in this whole thing is that there's a hundred thousand dollar monetary prize yeah and then i, I found out that as uh, you know the other the subsequent ones get money too just yeah. like the other one but when you're getting also a paycheck by being on the show yeah exposure Sag like chris like chris is we're gonna see him doing something I think chris already has a thing i you think know. he came in there with you know 
a show. She's camera ready. Yeah. And I was like, Chris is polished. Also, Chris was getting up every day, putting on her makeup, like being herself, being her Mexican gay self. And I was just like, she came to slay. She's like, I'm on a TV show. Whether I win or not, I'm on a TV yeah. show. The other ones are like, they were in their onesies, you know, just slopping out food and like just laying around, just being, their apartments were getting more and more disgusting. And Chris was like put together, having a cup of tea. And I'm like, oh, she knows where she is. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, good for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Someone's a pro. We Chris, have one Chris Sapphire. You can follow on, Chris Sapphire. On yes. Instagram. And I still love Sammy. Sammy. Sammy Chris, is my Shabam. favorite. Shabam. Yeah. Shabam ran for uh, governor of California. Yeah. Came in last place. Yeah. He was awesome. Youngest guy to ever run. Switching over to Leslie Jones special, if you haven't seen that, also on Netflix. Netflix, just please sponsor us. Um, Sponsored by Netflix. (laughs) Sponsored by Netflix. I do watch shit on Prime and Hulu and other stuff. (laughs) Interflex, yeah. Um, I do watch other (laughs) shit on other shows. You know, shit's Greek. But but Leslie Jones special came out. She was having such a good time. It's uh, it's really a good time watching Leslie make some salient points about uh, 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s. I agreed with uh, a lot of it. I think she's absolutely right. Do enjoy your um, 20s. But, and also, I kind of have a little bit, I think I agree with her a little bit about, like, being in your 20s and, like, enjoying yourself. Um, Maybe more than our 20-year-olds do. But at the same time, you've got Trump for president, and he can start a war with a tweet. So maybe you don't really have any chill. That's when you know you're (laughs) fucked up. That's when you're 20-year-olds Like, the one night you go to the bar, you go to the club, just hang out with your friends, and the president's like, oh, by the way, you know. Their nukes are coming. <laughs> and you're like, God damn it, I could have been at home. It's the eighties again. I yes. think my my favorite moment of the, the special was was like she just like all of a sudden switches gears and she's like, Do y'all know how gangsta it is <laughs> to take a dick? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And then she she gets off the stage. <laughs> to scream in that guy's face yeah. and I'm just like I'm, I, the amount of spit that was like probably on his face and that he like guy. just didn't do anything because he knew he was being filmed oh my god. I'm just like oh my god that poor guy to be that guy to I be able should. to say yeah I had Leslie Jones scream in my face yeah I love the point that she makes like a lot of girls come up to her and go oh my god why don't you have a boyfriend you're so awesome and the guys are like she looks like she can fight. <laughs> she can fight. <laughs> yeah, and I can, and I have. <laughs> no, uh, you got to check it out. Really good time. Uh, it's directed by um, Benoff and Weiss, D and D. And it's upbeat too. I mean, it's upbeat. You don't fall. You don't. There's no lull in it. It's, it's just, fun. It's, it's fun. a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Switching over to Penny Dreadful, City of Angels trailer came out. I don't know if you guys saw it. Looks like we got some Nazis. It's 1938 in Los Angeles. And I, I'm gathering from the trailer that Nazis be Naziing. And we also that <laughs> see that, is it Edith Baker or whatever? Well, remember that Le- Eddie, Edith, Edith Baker, Eddie, the woman who started the cult in California, the religious cult? Because you know how we be culting over here. We, we create a lot of cults in Los Angeles. I did not realize that we, specifically in California, we like to create a lot of entertainment Mary stuff. Mary Baker. That we also like to create cults. Like Christian science. Christian science. Hello. So I saw like a woman on the stage singing, and I'm like, that's got to be that chick because, you know, God and the yeah. devil and the Nazis and whatever. And I feel like this little sweet Mexican lady or Lat- Latin, Latin, Latino lady was praying, and then she conjured a demon like Santa Muerte. Saint Death showed up and was like, 
You call me girl. And so I feel like that's what's going to be happening. And one of our returning Penny Dreadful um, characters is coming back. Well, not characters, but actor Roy Kinnear is coming back. So he's going to oh, he play um, Dr. Kraft. Yes. So Roy Kinnear is oh. coming back. No Eva cool. Green or anybody that I've seen, um, but this is going to be Natalie Dormer's show. So I'll let her have it. So. All I have in my notes for this is Natalie Dormer with seven R's at the end of her last name. I'm just like, <laughs> I'm ready for it. Yes. <laughs> I'm yes. so ready for it. I was talking with Lindsay about it, and we did the math. And if they wanted to have an Ethan Chandler cameo, they could. Because he could. would still be alive if he you know, didn't die for some werewolfy reasons. He really could. And I don't see yeah. why there's any reason why we would not see Dorian Gray. True, true. I don't see why we would not see Reeve Carney roll up in this here show. Well, he's been he's been doing eight shows a week at Hades Town since March, so maybe not. I don't know. I feel like a sister can break off some time to go be in like Penny Dreadful, and I feel like I don't see him in the credits as of yet. But that doesn't mean that he's not going to be in the show. Do you know what I mean? I think it, it could happen. Yeah. It could definitely be cool. happen because I would love to see Dorian Gray just be like just in a bar somewhere going, so what's your sign? I don't know. What you say in <laughs> 1938 to pick up girls? It would make sense, though. Like he would get tired of England and he'd want to go where all the action is. Like it would totally make sense. He's also got an American accent for some random it'd be, reason. It'd be kind it'd of like... dreadful. He doesn't have an English accent. Does he? He does. In Penny Dreadful? Yeah. Are y'all sure? I'm pretty sure. I mean, I've rewatched the show six times. Are you sure? Yeah, he has. He has an English accent. Mm-hmm. We're gonna check this out after this podcast is over, and I'm gonna. I'm. I think I'm right that he has an American accent and Penny Dreadball. Uh, okay. Yeah, it's sort of. It, I don't recall an English accent. I don't recall an English accent either. Well, stay tuned. <laughs> Which is funny. Tune in in two weeks. Because we also know that Ethan has an American accent. You know, Ethan is an American. And I always thought mm-hmm. that was interesting that they made that choice with Dorian Gray, denoting that possibly he is from the Americas. Well, I must be stroking out because I remember him <laughs> having a British accent. Uh, maybe I'm stroking out. I mean, if anybody's going to be stroking <laughs> out between the three of us, it's probably me. <laughs> but I'm, in my mind right now, I'm thinking Penny Dreadful that, that, that Dorian Gray had an American accent. But I don't know. Maybe he did. Let's just say he did, and you're right, and I'm wrong, <laughs> and it's yeah, it doesn't matter. I'm not going to have a Bernie, uh, Liz, you know, argument with you over it. You're probably right. Uh, so, I mean, that's it for the show for this week. We will be back soon with lots of good stuff. Hopefully, um, we know the impeachment hearings start up on Tuesday, Tuesday. in the Senate. Uh, we know the Senate ain't going to do shit, but it, it's going to be interesting to see Lindsey Graham contradict himself every day that he's alive. And it's going to be interesting to see all those people who signed that impartiality pact live on TV uh, sit there and just completely just not do it. They're already not doing it by going on Fox and going, fuck that. We're, pretend- we're protecting the president because they got all kinds of compromise on us motherfuckers. But um, it'll be interesting to see uh, to see all that burn down. And then hopefully, mm-hmm. um, I don't know if anybody's going to see the Oscars. I don't even know when it is. Y'all let me know what happens because I ain't watching it. But um and if you enjoyed the Joker, I'm not coming for you personally. I don't think you're a terrible person. I just didn't get it. And if it was made for you and you enjoyed it, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm not trying to make an enemy of, of strangers. 
Uh, we will be back. You guys enjoy your um, the rest of your week. Hope you're getting plenty of rest. I hope you're like drinking lots of water. I'm not. I'm trying to. I am. And uh, we will see you very, very soon, guys. Ta-ta. Bye, guys. Bye. <laughs>